Chapter Thirteen, Part Three of Salambo by Gustave Flaubert. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Caroline. Chapter Thirteen, Part Three. Mato had at first refrained from fighting, the better to command the barbarians all at once. He had been seen along the gulf with the mercenaries near the lagoon with the numidians and on the shores of the lake among the negroes and from the back part of the plain he urged forward masses of soldiers who came ceaselessly against the ramparts by degrees he had drawn near the smell of blood the sight of carnage and the tumult of clarions had at last made his heart leap then he had gone back into his tent and throwing off his caress had taken his lion's skin as being more convenient for battle the snout fitted upon his head bordering his face with a circle of fangs the two forepaws were crossed upon his breast and the claws of the hinder ones fell beneath his knees he had kept on his strong waist-belt wherein gleamed a two-edged axe and with his great sword in both hands he had dashed impetuously through the breach like a pruner cutting willow branches and trying to strike off as much as possible so as to make the more money he marched along mowing down the carthaginians around him those who tried to seize him in flank he knocked down with blows of the pommel when they attacked him in front he ran them through if they fled he clove them two men leaped together upon his back he bounded backwards against a gate and crushed them his sword fell and rose it shivered on the angle of a wall then he took his heavy axe and front and rear he ripped up the carthaginians like a flock of sheep they scattered more and more and he was quite alone when he reached the second enclosure at the foot of the acropolis the materials which had been flung from the summit cumbered the steps and were heaped up higher than the wall mato turned back amid the ruins to summon his companions he perceived their crests scattered over the multitude they were sinking and their wearers were about to perish he dashed towards them then the vast wreath of red plumes closed in and they soon rejoined him and surrounded him but an enormous crowd was discharging from the side streets he was caught by the hips lifted up and carried away outside the ramparts to a spot where the terrace was high mato shouted a command and all the shields sank upon the helmets he leaped upon them in order to catch hold somewhere so as to re-enter carthage and flourishing his terrible axe ran over the shields which resembled waves of bronze like a marine guard with brandished trident over his billows however a man in a white robe was walking along the edge of the rampart impassable and indifferent to the death which surrounded him 
sometimes he would spread out his right hand above his eyes in order to find out some one matho happened to pass beneath him suddenly his eyeballs flamed his livid face contracted and raising both his lean arms he shouted out abuse at him matho did not hear it but he felt so furious and cruel a look entering his heart that he uttered a roar he hurled his long axe at him some people threw themselves upon shahabarim and matho seeing him no more fell back exhausted a terrible creaking drew near mingled with the rhythms of voices singing together it was the great helepolis surrounded by a crowd of soldiers they were dragging it with both hands hauling it with ropes and pushing it with their shoulders for the slope rising from the plain to the terrace although extremely gentle was found impracticable for machines of such prodigious weight however it had eight wheels banded with iron and it had been advancing slowly in this way since the morning like a mountain raised upon another then there appeared an immense ram issuing from its base the doors along the three fronts which faced the town fell down and cursed soldiers appeared in the interior like pillars of iron some might be seen climbing and descending the two staircases which crossed the stories some were waiting to dart out as soon as the cramps of the doors touched the walls in the middle of the upper platform the skeins of the ballistas were turning and the great beam of the catapult was being lowered hamilcar was at that moment standing upright on the roof of melkarth he had calculated that it would come directly towards him against what was the most invulnerable place in the wall which was for that very reason denuded of sentries his slaves had for a long time been bringing leathern bottles along the round way where they had raised with clay two transverse partitions forming a sort of basin the water was flowing insensibly along the terrace and strange to say it seemed to cause hamilcar no anxiety but when the helepolis was thirty paces off he commanded planks to be placed over the streets between the houses from the cisterns to the rampart and a file of people passed from hand to hand helmets and amphoras which were emptied continually the carthaginians however grew indignant at this waste of water the ram was demolishing the wall when suddenly a fountain sprang forth from the disjointed stones then the lofty brazen mass nine stories high which contained and engaged more than three thousand soldiers began to rock gently like a ship in fact the water which had penetrated the terrace had broken up the path before it wheels struck in the mire the head of spendius with distended cheeks blowing an ivory cornet appeared between leathern curtains on the first story the great machine as though convulsively upheaved advanced perhaps ten paces 
but the ground softened more and more the mire reached to the axles and the helepolis stopped leaning over frightfully to one side the catapult rolled to the edge of the platform and carried away by the weight of its beam fell shattering the lower stories beneath it the soldiers who were standing on the doors slipped into the abyss or else held on to the extremities of the long beams and by their weight increased the inclination of the helepolis which was going to pieces with creakings in all its joints the other barbarians rushed up to help them massing themselves into a compact crowd the carthaginians descended from the rampart and assailing them in the rear killed them at leisure but the chariots furnished with sickles hastened up and galloped round the outskirts of the multitude the latter ascended the wall again night came on and the barbarians gradually retired nothing could now be seen on the plain but a sort of perfectly blank swarming mass which extended from the bluish gulf to the purely white lagoon and the lake which had received streams of blood stretched further away like a great purple pool the terrace was now so laden with corpses that it looked as though it had been constructed of human bodies in the centre stood the helepolis covered with armour and from time to time huge fragments broke off from it like stones from a crumbling pyramid broad tracks made by the streams of lead might be distinguished on the walls a broken-down wooden tower burned here and there and the houses showed dimly like the stages of a ruined amphitheatre heavy fumes of smoke were rising and rolling with them sparks which were lost in the dark sky the carthaginians however who were consumed by thirst had rushed to the cisterns they broke open the doors a miry swamp stretched at the bottom what was to be done now moreover the barbarians were countless and when their fatigue was over they would begin again the people deliberated all night in groups at the corners of the streets some said that they ought to send away the women the sick and the old men others proposed to abandon the town and found a colony far away but vessels were lacking and when the sun appeared no decision had been made there was no fighting that day all being too much exhausted the sleepers looked like corpses when the carthaginians reflecting upon the cause of their disasters remembered that they had not dispatched to phoenicia the annual offering due to turian melkarth and a great terror came upon them the gods were indignant with the republic and were no doubt about to prosecute their vengeance they were considered as cruel masters who were appeased with supplications and allowed themselves to be bribed with presents all were feeble in comparison with moloch the devourer 
the existence the very flesh of men belonged to him and hence in order to preserve it the carthaginians used to offer up a portion of it to him which calmed his fury children were burnt on the forehead or on the nape of the neck with woollen wicks and as this mode of satisfying baal brought in much money to the priests they failed not to recommend it as being easier and more pleasant this time however the republic itself was at stake but as every profit must be purchased by some loss and as every transaction was regulated according to the needs of the weaker and the demands of the stronger there was no pain great enough for the god since he delighted in such as was of the most horrible description and all were now at his mercy he must accordingly be fully gratified precedents showed that in this way the scourge would be made to disappear moreover it was believed that an emulation by fire would purify carthage the ferocity of the people was predisposed towards it the choice too must fall exclusively upon the families of the great the ancients assembled the sitting was a long one hanno had come to it as he was now unable to sit he remained lying down near the door half hidden among the fringes of the lofty tapestry and when the pontiff of moloch asked them whether they would consent to surrender their children his voice suddenly broke forth from the shadow like the roaring of a genius in the depths of a cavern he regretted he said that he had none of his own blood to give and he gazed at hamilcar who faced him at the other end of the hall the suffet was so much disconcerted by this look that it made him lower his eyes all successively bent their heads in approval and in accordance with the rites he had to reply to the high priest yes be it so then the ancients decreed the sacrifice in traditional circumlocution because there are things more troublesome to say than to perform the decision was almost immediately known in carthage and lamentations resounded the cries of women might everywhere be heard their husbands consoled them or railed at them with remonstrances but three hours afterwards extraordinary tidings were spread abroad the suffet had discovered springs at the foot of the cliff there was a rush to the place water might be seen in holes dug in the sand and some were already lying flat on the ground and drinking hamilcar did not himself know whether it was by the determination of the gods or through the vague recollection of a revelation which his father had once made to him but on leaving the ancients he had gone down to the shore and had begun to dig the gravel with his slaves he gave clothing boots and wine he gave all the rest of the corn he was keeping by him he even let the crowd enter his palace and he opened kitchens stores and all the rooms salambos alone excepted 
he announced that six thousand gaulish mercenaries were coming and that the king of macedonia was sending soldiers but on the second day the springs diminished and on the evening of the third they were completely dried up then the decree of the ancients passed everywhere from lip to lip and the priests of moloch began their task men in black robes presented themselves in the houses in many instances the owners had deserted them under pretence of some business or of some dainty that they were going to buy and the servants of moloch came and took the children away others themselves surrendered them stupidly then they brought to the temple of tanith where the priestesses were charged with their amusement and support until the solemn day they visited hamilcar suddenly and found him in his gardens barca we come for that that you know of your son they added that some people had met him one evening during the previous moon in the centre of the mappalian district being led by an old man he was as though suffocated at first but speedily understanding that any denial would be in vain hamilcar bowed and he brought them into the commercial house some slaves who had run up at a sign kept watch all round about it he entered salambo's room in a state of distraction he seized hannibal with one hand snatched up the cord of a trailing garment with the other tied his feet and hands with it thrust the end into his mouth to form a gag and hid him under the bed of the ox-hides by letting an ample drapery fall to the ground afterwards he walked about from right to left raised his arms wheeled around bit his lips then he stood still with staring eyelids and panted as though he were about to die but then he clapped his hands three times giddenem appeared listen he said go and take from among the slaves a male child from eight to nine years of age with black hair and swelling forehead bring him here make haste giddenem soon entered again bringing forward a young boy he was a miserable child at once lean and bloated his skin looked greyish like the infected rag hanging to his sides his head was sunk between his shoulders and with the back of his hand he was rubbing his eyes which were filled with flies how could he ever be confounded with hannibal and there was no time to choose another hamilcar looked at giddenem he felt inclined to strangle him be gone he cried and the master of the slaves fled the misfortunes which he had so long dreaded was therefore come and with extravagant efforts he strove to discover whether there was not some mode some means to escape it abdalonim suddenly spoke from behind the door the suffet was being asked for the servants of moloch were growing impatient hamilcar repressed a cry as though a red-hot iron had burnt him and he began anew to pace the room like one distraught then he sank down beside the balustrade 
and with his elbows on his knees pressed his forehead into his shut fists the porphyry basin still contained a little clear water for salambo's ablutions in spite of his repugnance and all his pride the suffet dipped the child into it and like a slave merchant began to wash him and rub him with strigils and red earth then he took two purple squares from the receptacles round the wall placed one on his breast and the other on his back and joined them together on the collar-bones with two diamond clasps he poured perfume upon his head passed an electrum necklace around his neck and put on him sandals with heels of pearl sandals belonging to his own daughter but he stamped with shame and vexation salambo who busied herself in helping him was as pale as he the child dazzled by such splendour smiled and growing bold even was beginning to clap his hands and jump when hamilcar took him away he held him firmly by the arm as though he were afraid of losing him and the child who was hurt wept a little as he ran beside him when on a level with the ergastulum under a palm-tree a voice was raised a mournful and supplicant voice it murmured master o oh master hamilcar turned and beside him perceived a man of abject appearance one of the wretches who led a haphazard existence in the household what do you want said the suffet the slave who trembled horribly stammered i am his father hamilcar walked on the other followed him with stooping loins bent hams and head thrust forward his face was convulsed with unspeakable anguish and he was choking with suppressed sobs so eager was he at once to question him and to cry mercy at last he ventured to touch him lightly with one finger on the elbow are you going to he had not the strength to finish and hamilcar stopped quite amazed at such grief he had never thought so immense was the abyss separating them from each other that there could be anything in common between them it even appeared to him a sort of outrage an encroachment upon his own privileges he replied with a look colder and heavier than an executioner's axe the slave swooned and fell in the dust at his feet hamilcar strode across him the three black-robed men were waiting in the great hall and standing against the stone disc immediately he tore his garments and rolled upon the pavement uttering piercing cries ah poor little hannibal oh my son my consolation my hope my life kill me also take me away woe woe he ploughed his face with his nails tore out his hair and shrieked like the women who lamented at funerals take him away then my suffering is too great begone kill me like him the servants of moloch were astonished that the great hamilcar was so weak-spirited they were almost moved by it 
a noise of naked feet became audible with a broken throat rattling like the breathing of a wild beast speeding along and a man pale terrible and with outspread arms appeared on the threshold of the third gallery between the ivory pots he exclaimed my child hamilcar threw himself with a bound upon the slave and covering the man's mouth with his hand exclaimed still more loudly it is the old man who reared him he calls him my child it will make him mad enough enough and hustling away the three priests and their victim he went out with them and with a great kick shut the door behind them hamilcar strained his ears for some minutes in constant fear of seeing them return he then thought of getting rid of the slave in order to be quite sure that he would see nothing but the peril had not wholly disappeared and if the gods were provoked at the man's death it might be turned against his son then changing his intention he sent him by tanach the best from his kitchens a quarter of a goat beans and preserved pomegranates the slave who had eaten nothing for a long time rushed upon them his tears fell into the dishes hamilcar at last returned to salambo and unfastened hannibal's cords the child in exasperation bit his hand until the blood came he repelled him with a caress to make him remain quiet salambo tried to frighten him with lamia a cyrenian ogress but where is she he asked he was told that brigands were coming to put him into prison let them come he rejoined and i will kill them then hamilcar told him the frightful truth but he fell into a passion with his father contending that he was quite able to annihilate the whole people since he was the master of carthage at last exhausted by his exertions and anger he fell into a wild sleep he spoke in his dreams his back leaning against a scarlet cushion his head was thrown back somewhat and his little arm outstretched from his body lay quite straight in an attitude of command when the night had grown dark hamilcar lifted him up gently and without a torch went down the galley staircase as he passed through the mercantile house he took up a basket of grapes and a flagon of pure water the child awoke before the statue of alites in the vault of gems and he smiled like the other on his father's arm at the brilliant lights which surrounded him hamilcar felt quite sure that his son could not be taken from him it was an impenetrable spot communicating with the beach by a subterranean passage which he alone knew and casting his eyes around he inhaled a great draught of air then he sent him down upon a stool beside some golden shields no one at present could see him he had no further need for watching and he relieved his feelings like a mother finding her first-born that was lost he threw himself upon his son he clasped him to his breast he laughed and wept at the same time 
he called him by the fondest names and covered him with kisses little hannibal was frightened by this terrible tenderness and was silent now End of chapter 13 part 3